Welcome to Health Naturally on 2NUR FM. Greg Richard today in the hot seat, joined with Dennis Stewart, as per usual. Very good to be with you again, Greg. Excellent, Dennis. Now, a few weeks ago, you were talking about mm. wet lung. Yeah, look, it's a term that I use <laughs> to embrace those conditions of the lower respiratory system that are characterised by congestion, abnormal mucus production. Uh, we used to call them catarrhal diseases. Mm. A good example is being bronchitis bronchiectasis, um, even emphysema, where a, a byproduct of those conditions can be mucousy states, which can precipitate a lot of problems. And I've got a few ideas from folk medicine and from my own clinical experience on how some simple foods, virtually cost nothing, may be useful in addressing the symptoms of what I call the wet lung. It does it does create a, no, a lovely image, the wet lung. <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> and first up today, we've got Jenny from Fern Bay, and she's got regular sudden cough onsets, clear mu- mucus, but she hasn't got a cold, but she did have COVID back in April. Hello, Jenny. Oh, g'day. <clears throat> yeah, um, I don't... This cough, Dennis, yes. has, uh, it's only about a week and a bit ago. Yes. All of a sudden, I got this cough. I yes. didn't have any cold yes. or anything. Yes. And I'm wondering, I'm thinking, actually, that it's something I'm eating. Okay. Um, you've not, you're not traditionally a sufferer of this condition, are you, Jenny? This is just something out of the blue. Well, I don't know if you remember, it's very hard to remember in your job, but right at the beginning of the year, I was the blue-eyed blonde ah, that had, okay. couldn't eat dairy. Yes, and look, <laughs> you, you represent what I refer to as a classic constitutional type, the blonde, yeah. the blonde blue-eyed individual, yeah. uh, which from my experience supports the contention that that particular constitutional type can be very reactive to a diet yeah. that's strong in cow's milk products yeah. and why I for a long time have encouraged people, controversial as it might sound, if you suffer uh, your type of symptom, uh, regular sudden onset of colds with a lot of mucusy production, look, give the cow's milk thing a bit of a break. And yeah, if... oh, yeah, I'm, I'm off all that dairy. Oh, good, good. Go, well, that's a good that start. Dairy. Well, I think that's a, use, a, a useful start. And let me just say again on this yeah. topic, I'm not opposed to milk or dairy product. What I'm saying is, however, I have noted, as my naturopathic mentors taught me many, many years ago, that in some individuals, particularly as you have explained there, individuals which I have seen all my life uh, Blonde, blue-eyed, with uh, with uh, a particular iris characteristic, there seems to be a tendency on the part of that constitution to regularly experience what you're experiencing now. Now, look, I mentioned a couple of things quickly that might be of use to you. Um, I notice you had uh, COVID back in April. At Easter time. Yes. Okay. Now, um, the the uh, the uh, oh, do you think that's the way I'll put it? Do you think there is any connection between what you're experiencing now and the, the episode of COVID that you had at Easter time? No, not really. Okay. However, yes. I've lost my taste with COVID. Yes. And I've gone on to a lot of bread stuff because okay. Okay. I can't taste anything. So bread, you know, there's okay. bread at brekkie, bread at lunch, bread at tea. Yeah. Well, look, I'll make, thinking... I'll make a couple of recommendations here. Yeah. Um, I would be, in your situation, 
uh, taking the remedy that you would have heard me mention so many times, and that is the preparation known as Astragalus 8, which I, rec- uh-huh. which I recommended to my patients and clients uh, before, during and after uh, the COVID experience. It is yeah. not only a useful immunosupportive agent to uh, build up resistance uh, to uh, COVID or any other virus, but it's also what's referred to as a retrieval medication. It's used uh, to improve a person's recovery from severe viral mm-hmm. infections. I would, mm-hmm. in your situation, uh, particularly seeing you're, seeing, uh, you're experiencing uh, an onset, an ongoing experience of COVID, i.e. The, the loss of taste or smell, I would suggest that you start taking some astragalus 8, stay off your cow's milk products. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally off cow's good. milk. I'm okay. an almond milk. Okay, good. Yes. Now, I've only had this this bout of um, coughing yes. for a week and a half. Okay. Well, then what, what I would suggest is that you just go to your pharmacy or your health food store and get a bottle of cod liver oil and, uh-huh. and start to take. Uh, a okay. good a good dose of cod liver oil. I'm going to be talking a lot about this remedy because it is a forgotten remedy, and people uh-huh. don't people don't realise that it developed a history of usefulness in addressing uh-huh. respiratory conditions characterised by coughs and mucus production. Take a little mm. take a little bit of that. Stoke yourself up on a high dose of vitamin C. Yeah. And go and get hold of a, a cough medication just to get you through this based on manuka honey. Well, oh, I'm not going to remember all that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go through it again for you. Yeah. Okay. okay Take, I've got a pen and paper now. Oh, there you go, Gene. Okay. Astragalus 8, as, as, oh, a, as a, just put Astra, A-S-T-R-A, Astra, Astra 8. Um, as a recovery remedy, supporting okay. your immune response and building up some resistance to what might be called the lingering, ongoing effects of, of, of the virus. Uh, also, uh, get into some vitamin C in, in a high... Oh, actually, Dennis, before we go any further, yep, yep. of a morning, I do take a tablet of vitamin C. Oh, that's good. What, do, what dose are you taking, Jenny? Oh, I can't remember. Okay. I tend to emphasise higher dosages of vitamin C as a means of improving resistance and building up resistance. 500 to 1,000 milligrams of vitamin C. Yep, yep, daily. I do that, yep. Yeah, that's yep. not a bad dose. Get into, get into some cod liver oil, and I say that again to listeners out there who experience regular what I call wet lung or respiratory conditions Please don't overlook the long history of a remedy that if you Google it, it will be found to have remarkable benefits on the mucous membrane of the respiratory system. High in vitamin A, which is the mucous membrane remedy, a forgotten substance. We all had it at my stage of life many, many years ago, uh, and it still needs to be brought back today. Get Get into that and go to your pharmacy or your health food store and get a medication that'll tide you over based on, say, some manuka honey. It's manuka honey with the cod liver oil? Yeah, well, you get the manuka honey as a, uh, as a cough mixture. Okay. There, there are numerous, right there are numerous uh, cough mixtures in pharmacies and health food stores, 
But cove, yeah. uh, that uh, manuka honey or jelly bush honey, as we call it in Australia, has some very useful uh, soothing effects on the respiratory system, and also perhaps some useful antimicrobial benefit. And do I get that at the supermarket? Uh, look, you may well do, but um, sometimes, well, I believe you get um, a good result when you talk to a health professional, either your pharmacist or a qualified and uh, a, a retailer in a health food store that has been trained and is qualified in natural medicine. Mm-hmm. Right, OK. All right. So do you think the bread's got anything to do with it? Well, I have a good paper that I hand out free of charge to my clients and patients at my rooms in Alma Road, in Alma Road written by a British doctor years ago, and I was so impressed that I had it published. And he argues that one of the things that encourages uh, congestion, uh, mucousy states that block and, and uh, mess up the respiratory function is, is a diet that is over-emphatic on carbohydrates, particularly bread. Uh, and um, a reduction, a reduction in bread, a reduction in, in cow's milk products and a movement yep. more towards um, uh, liquids uh, that have um, benefit, um, even drinking more water, uh, pineapple juice is particularly useful, um, mm-hmm. moving away from an emphasis on carbohydrates and an emphasis on cow's milk products, move towards what you have done Think about goat's milk. I think it's a preferred option to cow's milk. And um, give that a try. Well, I'm on almond milk. Yeah, that's okay. But I, I, I think that um, milk is milk. And um, yeah. I much prefer to see um, goat's milk, mainly because, as I've said on this program before, my dear wife and myself as a young married couple raised goats, <laughs> delivered goats, milked goats, used their yeah. milk and... Uh, I think that that demonstrated to me and my wife and my family subsequently of the great values in one of the great supporters of our culture over thousands of years, the good old, the good old goat. Our, our culture, our society, our civilization was based on the donkey and based on the goat. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. okay. Well, it sounds good to me. Good okay. on you, Jenny. Yeah, but... Thank you for ringing. Dennis, we're talking about... Wet lung today, uh-huh, okay. which doesn't sound overly <laughs> nice. It's an attractive talk- term, yeah. isn't it? But you talked about also just before then cod liver oil. Yeah. How does that relate to helping out with well, wet look, lung? The interesting thing about cod liver oil is that uh, it has had a reputation, even in mainstream medicine, not so long ago. Uh, at the height of the uh, tuberculosis epidemic generations ago, cod liver oil was a standard food or nutrient that was given... Uh, to patients that had been stricken down with it. Not that it necessarily cured it, but it was found that it lessened what we call the wasting associated with that disease. That is where the nutritional status of the patient uh, became poor and uh, where they started to fade away, which also, uh, uh, in the context of the infection, uh, hastened the poor prognosis associated with it. it. Cod liver oil... It can be seen in some ways as a a general system tonic, mm-hmm. and that's why I think that my generation uh, was virtually raised on it because there was this lingering uh, understanding that it was something that transcended any one particular condition. It was a system tonic that brought a lot of vitamin A and a lot of vitamin D into the system. So how does it or how might it be able to 
continue to be useful, particularly for chronic um, lung conditions. Uh, and th there are plenty of individuals in, in, in our society here that suffer from that. Cod liver oil is a natural, a natural source of high levels of vitamin A and high levels of vitamin D. And you might say, well, what's the significance of that? Hmm. When I studied nutrition many years ago, we always referred to vitamin A as being the mucous membrane remedy. Yeah. Now, what do we mean by that? For listeners who uh, might not know we're talking about, mucous membranes are the membranes that line all the tubular structures of the body, and they secrete necessary levels of protective mucus. But when a system becomes infected, it becomes inflamed, and associated with that is a hyperproduction of mucus, which can precipitate problems and uh, lead to some pretty serious consequences if it's not well managed. I believe that the use of vitamin A, even at that stage, was acknowledged uh, within main, mainstream medicine, not just naturopathic medicine, as being something that could support the health of the mucous membrane, particularly in its fight against infection. And even before I came away uh, from, from home this morning, I was reading through a particular text where it pointed out that cod liver oil had a history of usefulness in fighting infections of the respiratory system. So I believe that its reputation is useful, uh, particularly as an ongoing tonic, particularly for elderly people who uh, are not thriving, uh, who are, if you like, wasting, losing a bit of weight. Yep. Let me just say to elderly people, for goodness sake, don't lose weight as you get older. This is where I dissent from what I consider to be a lot of nonsense right. by mainstream <laughs> nutrition. There, there, there we go. We've created a scenario <laughs> of dissent here. But the, hang on to what you've got because uh, uh, when we start to um, fail or f fade away, we need something that has the possibility of getting that benefit that was found years ago from using cod liver oil and also its potential benefit in supporting that most important organ the lung. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was interesting you were talking about this today because, again, I'll be talking about it over and over again. Mm -hmm. I've just finished reading uh, a copy of um, a text called The Arthritis Cure by Dr. Dale Alexander. This was a book that was very, very popular uh, probably 20, 30 years ago. And in that book was presented what's called uh, the cod liver oil um, treatment for osteo and rheumatoid arthritis. I'll talk about it in depth on another occasion, but for listeners, if you can Google the book, grab it. You can still get it. Uh, you can even get secondhand copies of it. It's not expensive. And the hypothesis of that book or the treatment developed by that gentleman based around cod liver oil was that the taking of a tablespoonful of cod liver oil on a daily basis, about three to four hours before going to bed can bring about a significant reduction, so it is claimed, in the symptoms of arthritis and rheumatism. Now, do I get confirmation of this in practice? One of the reasons I'm talking about it now is that in recent times, I've had particularly older patients uh, talk about the way in which they use Dale Alexander's book, The Arthritis Cure, as a means of overcoming what they consider to be entrenched arthritic conditions. So you can see my view that that as a food, 
has benefits that are probably being laughed at by the purists out there. But remember, the purists of the mainstream have laughed at many things only these days to uh, uh, not be quite as uh, scurrilous of some of the folk traditions. Look at the way that uh, when I started using honey in medicine and we're seeing remarkable results and resolving uh, leg ulcers with honey. Look at the way that that would have been laughed out of court. Yep. Now look at the way which, due to the science, have supported the, fake, the folk observation that that is a therapeutic substance uh, which has potential not just as a tasty food but as a therapeutic agent. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's a lot of things like that, Greg, in what I call uh, folk medicine which uh, embraces a lot of what naturopathic practitioners and certainly herbalists do, and fortunately some of that folk tradition and medicine is being looked at a little bit uh, more seriously today when mainstream medicine is coming up against a lot of brick walls in addressing many chronic diseases. You mark my words, hopefully as a result today, people will look a little bit further into the potential tonic benefits of cod liver oil and particularly as a useful agent where people have chronic lung conditions. I think it just sounds terrible. That's what I said to you, Phil, cod liver yeah, oil. It doesn't does. sound that really nice, but... <laughs> it, it sort of reminds you of what, what I used to hear frequently in the workshops during my apprentice. <laughs> Guys would be <laughs> coughing and spluttering <laughs> in such a way that you would want to run a million miles. But remember also, uh, many, many people of, of those generations, many men particularly, were serious smokers mm. and also, as we said before before the program, many of them worked in industries such as coal mines and steelworks where dust and environmental pollution uh, aggravated or precipitated many serious lung conditions which were characterised by wetness or mucus <laughs> or congestion or spit. Use all those terms to describe what we're talking about today. It is also lunchtime too, Dennis, but I think we'll get back and talk about some spices We're next. all human beings, you know. This is pretty common. We're kind of moving on to the world of spices and just to go back to a bit early to our earlier yeah, call we yeah. had, they said they had no taste left for COVID. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, and she said they sort of ate bread, blandish food, but I would have... I'd jack it up with spices and... Oh, look, I think in um, Jenny's situation, um, that would be very, very good advice because uh, what spices do, and when we're talking about spices, we're talking about herbs that are pungent, uh, warming herbs like cayenne and and ginger in particular. But what they do is, is stimulate the salivary glands, which improve the whole digestive chemistry of the mouth, mm-hmm. and in my opinion, could, uh, if you like, uh, support or trigger off a better taste sensation, a byproduct of what Jenny seems to think is, was associated with COVID. So I think uh, that would be a good recommendation. Uh, and again, it's an important point to mention that what we refer to as spices, or what I refer to as warming herbs, are not just foods that should be seen to flavour uh, our, our food. Yep. I see them as potent medicinal substances. Um, years ago, there was a, a doctor who worked for the World Health Organisation, Dr. Zyment, Z-I-M-E-N-T, um, and he wrote a paper on trying to, and I think he did a good job, on explaining why, particularly in, in Asian culture, uh, in places like China, Japan, 
why it, it seemed to be that despite uh, the pollution of those countries at that stage and despite the fact that there was an abnormally high proportion of people that smoked, mm -hmm. there seemed to be less evidence or less experience of some of the respiratory conditions uh, that occurred in Western countries, even where there was a movement, a strong movement, and rightly so, to get people away from using cigarettes. And he put it down to the fact that in those societies, what we call pungent, spicy herbs or warming herbs had a very predominant role on a day-to-day -day basis in the food that was eaten. And he uh, d uh, developed the hypothesis that foods like ginger, in particular for the lung, um, and uh, cayenne or chilli, particularly for peripheral circulation, that they had profound benefits. Uh, hot, pungent substances, and particularly ginger, he uh, argued, had what was called uh, mucotrophic activity on the mucous membrane and mucolytic properties. Now, what does that mean for listeners out there? Mucotropic, he claimed, was a tonic benefit, a support for the mucous membrane of, of the respiratory system, even when it was under stress, by the benefits of pungent herbs in the way in which they had a cleansing, immunosupportive, and improved circulatory activity targeting that organ. So, uh, and mucolytic was the term that he used to describe the regular daily use, and that's the emphasis here, regular daily use in whatever form of a herb like ginger, a classic example for the lung, that that also had the benefit of affecting uh, the, the, the nature of the mucus, the nature of the, of the um, yeah, the mucus being secreted by the mucus membrane. Uh, hot spices became mucolytic. That is, they tended to break down uh, mucus clumps behind respiratory conditions. I'm using fairly simple language. So mucotrophic associated with uh, hot herbs such as ginger and cayenne, horseradish and others, uh, supporting the functioning of the mucous membrane by scavenging improved inf influx of antibodies, a general warming of the organ, very important concept mm. in traditional medicine, and a mucolytic action and in lessening, if you like, uh, the adhesiveness, the viscosity of the mucus produced by the lung. And when I was in Japan, when I was in Japan, I noticed that there was a, a degree of reality in this. I know it's lunchtime, but I'll give an example of what we're talking about. We <laughs> yeah. were sitting in a high rise in the middle of Tokyo, and I, I kid you not, we were sitting just, if you like, um, above a threshold where there was so much smoke and dust, it was unbelievable. Yep. The restaurant was packed with people. Many of them were smoking, and this was quite objectionable. I'm not a smoker, could never tolerate it. Yeah. But the whole culture at that time in Japan was smoking. smoking yep. And yet I did not hear any evidence of a chronic respiratory condition. There was no hawking up of mucus. There was no chronic cough. And I like to think that this is evidence suggesting that Zyment, when he wrote the paper for the World Health Organization, was onto something when he explained the relative freedom from wet lung conditions in Asia at that time yep. had something to do with the food they ate, one characteristic of it being hot, 
spicy substances mm. taken on a regular basis. Greg, it's similar to what we've noticed <coughs> about um, about curcumin and the way in which in the in curry, for instance, in South Asian diet, it's now considered <coughs> that that uh, substance um, is responsible for the observation that there is less evidence of chronic bowel diseases in in uh, countries whose diet is rich in that particular food substance. Right. Mm. There you go. Yeah, it's a lot to take in, Dennis. <laughs> oh, we only started. Yeah, we only started. Well, I suppose like in India as well, like they have heaps of curries and stuff and everything oh, as well. Absolutely. And, well, that's and a classic example. And there's high levels example. of pollution areas in that, like big true. cities in India. That's a classic example that uh, many of these foods that we think are novel flavouring foods, and certainly they are, yep. um, are eaten by way of tradition also based on the principle that goes back to Hippocrates who said food is your best medicine. Mm-hmm. We need to realise that food is not just going to a fast food outlet and stuffing our mouth yep. with a wrist hole and a bit of bread, bread roll wrapped around it. There's a lot more towards uh, the benefits of food than that uh, overindulgence of, of, uh, of Western society, which has moved miles away from even traditional dietary ideas, sadly, sadly. I've got Carmel from Tanambits. And she's got a question about what we've been talking about, cod liver oil. Uh, Carmel. Hello. Hello, Carmel. What what dosage? I take cod liver oil capsules. Is that the same as cod liver oil? Look, one would think so, but all the uh, literature that I read on cod liver oil suggests that it is assimilated uh, more efficiently if it is taken in its crude form. And I have just, uh, this morning before leaving home, uh, reading a section from Dale Alexander's book on the relationship of regular usage of cod liver oil as a way of managing arthritis. And he emphasises the point that unless one is taking it in its simple uh, crude form, the, um, in the capsule or other form, uh, allows it to b- bypass a lot of the digestive processes that are associated with an efficient uptake of the constituents of cod liver oil. Um, I'm not saying saying there's no benefit, far from it. I'm saying, however, that my reading suggests from some of the older literature that the best results with a reasonable explanation can be related to taking the crude oil. Now, um, you you didn't want to hear that, but I I, because I can remember the days, Carmel, and I'm probably much older than you, when Friday nights at our home in uh, in, in Wall's End was, was the night when uh, we all, <laughs> three of us, three boys, were given the weekly dosage of cod liver oil, admittedly in a preparation that wasn't too bad, but was still cod liver oil, but you get used to it. So why do you have to stop taking it if you're going into hospital? Uh, look, I recommend to to most of my clients anyway, if you're going into hospital to have any procedure, it's wise to be uh, using as few supplements as you can because uh, the possibility of those supplements interacting with medical procedures or the possibility of them influencing clotting or blood clotting uh, or healing processes, um, rare as it might be, is something that needs to be respected. So uh, if there, 
I can't think of any specific reason, um, except perhaps uh, just as some fish oils are considered to exacerbate uh, a bleeding process, uh, the dosages of cod liver oil I've never found or have seen any documentation to see that they have that potential, but probably being a fish oil, um, it, it, if you like, comes into the category of a substance that would worry uh, a procedure if there was um, clotting or anything like that being affected. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much. Health Naturally on 2NURFM. Dennis, we're almost out of time for another mm. week. We've talked about spices, but kind of another aromatic, I guess you could say, garlic, which we use in our ah, foods. Yeah, well, here we go. We could do a whole session on garlic. Well, you've but, got one minute. Okay, <laughs> very quickly. Garlic, uh, when used ongoingly in any form, particularly as a capsule, and ideally based on the crude garlic, which has still got the whole lot of it in it, garlic functions as a useful, natural, potential antibiotic and has long been used even in medicine, particularly in the First World War where it was administered uh, to Allied troops in the trenches like as a right. means of trying to counteract some of the infections that were there. Yep. Now, we're not saying it's a modern antibiotic. We are saying that its use on a regular basis has immunosupportive characteristics and a useful agent in promoting an antiseptic effect, an antimicrobial benefit, in the respiratory system. It doesn't take the place of what our good doctors may have prescribed, mm -hmm. but it's a food with a potentially anti-infection capacity. It is a food which taken regularly as a sensible, inexpensive supplement, like cod liver oil. It probably hasn't got a, a great deal of attraction in its crude form, but potent in its ability to support people with wet lung conditions. Dennis, there's your out-cue music. <laughs> <laughs> We'll okay. Touch more on garlic next week. Dennis Stewart, thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>